welcome to Pharmacy Friends, a podcast dedicated to bringing you industry experts to the same virtual table to talk about what is happening in pharmacy today, what is coming in the future, and most importantly, what it means to you. What comes to mind when you hear the word pharmacist? Does your brain immediately take you to the person standing behind the counter at a pharmacy? I think before I worked at Magellan, that is where my brain would go. I knew there were other avenues that you could take if you were planning on pursuing a career in pharmacy, but I never realized just how many. While it may not officially be American Pharmacist Month anymore, we're continuing the celebration and proudly promoting our amazing pharmacists at Magellan RX. We're sharing episodes featuring pharmacists from across the organization, moderated by Jonathan Magnus, who not only is our Vice President of Medicare Part D Operations, but he also heads up our residency program. Whether you're considering a career in pharmacy or are just curious about what pharmacists do, this episode will answer your burning questions. Let's get into it. Hi, pharmacy friends. Welcome back to the second episode of our American Pharmacists Month mini-series. I'm your host, John Magnus, and today I'm joined by another friend and peer of mine, Mark Santilli. Mark, welcome. Can you introduce yourself to our friends? Sure, sure. Um, so like you said, my name is Mark Santilli. Um, I am the Senior Director of Clinical Programs and Strategy here at Magellan RX. I've been with Magellan for uh, just over eight years now, um, back in May. I actually started here uh, right out of college. Um, fun fact, I actually had my first day of work the, the literal day after graduation. So, so I can say I kind of really did really start right after graduation here. Um, as far as my day-to-day and, and what is my role kind of really, really kind of revolve around, um, I primarily work in the implementation and development of clinical programs, primarily in the quality space. So when I say the term quality, I know that's kind of a, a little bit of a obscure name here, but it really kind of revolves around either CMS star ratings. So if we're talking about Medicare specifically, um, CMS star measures really kind of focus on making sure that Medicare contracts are delivering the, the best care to their beneficiaries. And if we're talking about other lines of business like Medicaid, commercial or employer groups, they may be more so focused around NCQA HEDIS measures. Again, it's really just another um, way that there's a national standard to grade and rate the quality in which a plan is providing their beneficiaries. Um, The fun part about my job, I think, is that I work with a lot of different teams. I work with a lot of different individuals. I'm not necessarily just a kind of sole contributor. Um, I myself have a team of four and I work very closely with account management. I work very closely with our data analytics team. I work closely with legal and compliance to make sure all the interventions and and strategies that we're developing are within compliance and aren't gonna rub anybody the wrong way. Um, And I would say, you know, every day is different. Um, You know, one of my prior bosses said, the best part about the job is you wear a different hat every day. Some days I I truly am a clinical pharmacist. Other days I feel like a statistician or data analyst, whether I'm manipulating data, trying to identify different insights and trends in the marketplace. And and at other times I'm I'm a legal or compliant expert trying to make sure that we're following Medicare's guidance on medication therapy management or following all the regulations and standards that they lay out for us. 
Yeah, holy cow. A lot of hats and a lot of things that I, th I think I want to dive a little bit deeper into, but some something you already said that you wear multiple hats. And I got to tell you a little little pitch for for uh, where I am in my career. And that's that's one of the things I absolutely love about it, right? Is I think I, I think I have a little bit of what I'll call professional ADHD. And if I had to sit there and do like one task, said, John, here is your one thing that you do every single day, 40 hours a week, I would go nuts. And so it sounds like you and I are in, in that sort of that same mentality here where there's just a lot of stuff to do and having our fingers in, in like so many different areas and experiencing so many places within managed care, within pharmacy, uh, it's really unique and fun at least at least for me and it sounds like sounds like you as well um, keeps it very engaging yes oh it, it it's never a boring ever a boring day at work um okay well let's let, let let's rewind a little bit i, I want to hit on some things and, and sort of figure out how mark became the mark santilli right what what makes you you what made you tick and let, let's start at the beginning where, where did you go to pharmacy school and did, did they really introduce managed care there or oh, let's just start there where did you go to pharmacy school how was how was that experience for you yeah so i went to the university of rhode island um i'm a rhode island native born and raised um me and my wife both both are from here, both live here, raising our daughter here. She also went to the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy as well. That's where we met. Um, I graduated back in 2014. And, and you know, a fun, a fun little fact, actually, I didn't start in pharmacy originally. I actually started down a chemical engineering path. Um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. So I started, I started there. And I remember the class I was sitting in, um, it was metallurgy, which is literally the study of metals. And I said to myself, wow, I do not enjoy this <laughs> at, at all. So I said, I need, I need a change. And pharmacy was always in the back of my mind growing up. I have a very long bloodline and a history of, of pharmacy runs deep. Uh, my grandfather, owned and operated his own independent pharmacy for 50 plus years, Anthony's Drug on Manton Ave. Um, his daughter, my aunt, was a pharmacist. My sister is a pharmacist. I'm a pharmacist. Uh, three of my first cousins are pharmacists. Uh, a number of other cousins are, are pharmacists. One day I'm going to lay out a, a family tree here, um, but long lineage. And I think originally, I was really trying to stay away from that, right? It was almost kind of breathing down my neck. Okay, hey, let me do something different. Let me try this, this pathway of chemical engineering. Loved science, loved math growing up. So it seemed like a, a clear opportunity. Didn't quite pan out. So I remember again, sitting there in metallurgy saying, forget this. So I decided to make the jump and get into pharmacy, which the rest of my family was very pleased about. Oh, so. Oh, yeah. So I ended up cutting over to, to that kind of trajectory. And URI does a fantastic job of laying out their curriculum, really giving you a, a broad kind of foundation to build upon. Um, but like many other colleges of pharmacy that I've kind of learned about, there really isn't a lot that they dive into on the managed care front. It's really just scratching the surface, right? It's what is Medicare? What is Medicaid? What does CMS kind of regulate and manage? And that's kind of it, 
right? And that's kind of it. You're kind of on your own beyond that to really kind of dive in. And that's why when the time came to start looking at what types of rotations do we want to pick going into our P4 year, like, like most other colleges of pharmacy, I wanted to make sure I gave myself an opportunity to really kind of make sure that I, I touched as many different facets of pharmacy that I could, because when it, when it got time to say, okay, what do I want to do the rest of my life? My grand, like I said, my grandfather owned his own independent. That was always in the back of my head. Hey, I, I could work there. Problem was my sister worked there. It's a small independent. How many pharmacists do they actually need? Right, your whole whole drug cartel family <laughs> can't work at one independent pharmacy. Right. So, so I had I had actually become an intern at, at another one of the kind of local chains here. So that was always in the back of my mind. Hey, I could fall back on retail, so to speak. But I really loved it. I'm I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert. I love interacting with with people. So community pharmacy was always something I enjoyed. But I always thought there was something more out there. So when we went to pick our pick our rotations, there was one that kind of jumped out at me, and it was around managed care, and it was called CDMI, uh, a very small kind of startup uh, that was local, based out of Newport, Rhode Island. And I had a lot of older friends who had graduated a couple of years prior who actually worked there. So I reached out to them, got some insights around, hey, what is, what is the rotation about? What, what would we actually be doing and learning? And it sounded fascinating. So I signed up for that one, and luckily, um, I was I was granted an opportunity to have that actually be my first rotation. So, the way URI does their rotations, you know, summer one, two, fall one, two, you know, yada yada. It was my summer one rotation, six week block, and I absolutely fell in love with every part of it. So much so that when I had summer two as an off block, I requested to stay on as an intern. I worked there for the following six weeks. I stayed on over my winter break. I stayed on over my spring break. And like I said, the day after graduation, I actually started there. Um, so I, I had a very interesting kind of uh, lead up to getting into managed care where, you know, I, I made sure that when I was picking rotations, I tried to pick areas that we didn't get a lot of exposure to in pharmacy school. And like I said, managed care was something where I really only scratched the surface. I had no idea what star ratings were in, until I got to CDMI. And then by the time I actually got there as a, a graduate intern, we had been acquired by Magellan RX um, and really started to learn the inner workings of what what is a PBM to? I don't even think I could spell PBM at the time as a student. So to then start learning some of the inner workings and how do they interact with health plans? You know, what is a rebate? How does that come into play? Um, it, it was really pretty eye-opening and gave a lot of insights as far as what other opportunities exist that a pharmacist could do. Because I think when you're sitting in those, you know, didactic kind of lectures, okay, well, hey, I'm either going into community pharmacy or I'm going to be a hospital pharmacist and, it, and it's kind of ultra clinical. You really don't get that much exposure as far as what other opportunities existed. So having that as a rotation really kind of opened my eyes to what was available. That's great. And as part of, so as part of my role with Magellan, I'm, I'm the residency director and I, I, get, I get this question a lot which is what happens if I really want to do managed care? Um, I go for a residency, but I just don't get it. You know, there's, there's, at this point, there's more candidates than there are managed care residency positions. 
sounds like you took a a a a roundabout way, right? Because right now everybody thinks the only way you get into managed care, or really the only way you get into any non-traditional type of pharmacy role, is you have to do a residency. Um, and I would argue that that's that's a direct route, of course. Um, but that's not the only route. What 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 advice, I guess, would you give to either uh, graduating students, or quite honestly, even current pharmacists out there who are thinking of making making a career change at this point? Absolutely. And, I, you know, funny, I get I get that question from a lot of colleagues who work in the community setting right now or the hospital setting right now. Yeah. And and what I try to tell them is, you know, if you work in the chain or community setting, try to get more involved in the business side of retail pharmacy, Mm -hmm. right? The the acquisition part of it, the, um, you know, the pharmacy ordering part of it, understanding the, um, you know, wholesale manufacturing part. I know a lot of chains work with these other quality organizations, whether it's you know outcomes or equip or using tips, different platforms that are really trying to push the um, quality aspect of it, right? Identifying patients who maybe fit these different star or HEDIS quality initiatives. Make sure you're kind of getting your foot in the foot in the door there and trying to understand well why is that important? Why does that matter to a pharmacy? Why does that matter to the member's health plan? Um, that's a really good opportunity, I think, to get, kind of try to get some insights into uh, some of the inner workings of a health plan, of a PBM. And then I also think, too, there's a lot of openings at health plans and PBMs for these, what I'll call, entry-level positions of a clinical pharmacist. Yeah, and, you're right. And, right? And, and again, when I was a student at CDMI at the time, a lot of what we did was be the actual clinicians who worked on these quality improvement measures. And the way I always kind of described it to my other students or other colleagues at the time was it gave you an opportunity to work and do what you wanted to do in the retail setting, but you didn't have time to do, right? For everyone who works in the community setting, you probably want to just live walking up and down the aisles, talking to patients, you know, hey, what are you looking for? What's your problem? How can I help you? That's what we get to do day in and day out, you know, talking to patients on the phone about their medications. Hey, I see that you're diabetic. You know, what's your A1C? You know, are you on a statin for cardio, you know, cardio protection? Um, You know, do you have rheumatoid arthritis? What kind of drugs are you on? Do you understand how they interact with your other, with your other products? It really gave you the opportunity to kind of take that clinical angle that, Maybe you just don't have all the necessary time to because you have other administrative duties working behind the bench at a pharmacy. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about um, even just applying or looking to see what's out there from a health plan or a PBM's perspective. <clears throat> I did an exercise with a class I was teaching several months ago, and, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher the numbers. But at the time, we, we did a little bit of research into managed care pharmacy, and, and some of the same discussion came up. How do I get in if I am not qualified? First of all, I hate saying that, not qualified, by whose definition, right? And so managed care pharmacy is still somewhat of this fledgling industry. We don't have just hundreds of thousands of pharmacists out there that are, quote, qualified. So going to, going to some larger managed care um, websites, you know, you think of the big PBMs, you think of Magellan itself, you think of your local regional health plans, and just look look on their website and see who they're hiring, type in pharmacists, see, see what type of thing. Most of these websites have multiple job openings. 
that just say clinical pharmacist. And to your point, that is like the best way, I think, to enter this, this, this market if you're not a residency trained or you're not even seeking residency training, um, looking for a position that says clinical pharmacist. Uh, that a lot of times it's those clinical things like you just described with MTM and some of the star ratings and, and, and quality stuff. Sometimes it's um, on the prior authorization team. So it's mm -hmm. the pharmacists that are doing some, some PA work. Um, but that I think there's just so much opportunity in our industry. But I think people are too scared to take that jump because they just don't know what this industry is all about. And so because they don't even really know, they think they're ill prepared or not qualified for this this type of this type of role. I will tell you the farm D alone really is almost a qualifying factor for some of these entry level roles. I you know you're not going to jump in and apply and, and all of a sudden be the you know the chief clinical pharmacy officer or whatever. <laughs> but you got to start somewhere and, and a clinical pharmacist doing MTM or prior authorization work is a really solid way of getting your start. People like you and I that's where we start, sure. right? And then we move up and I think we've got some pretty killer jobs now. It's pretty awesome. So. Right. It's it's all about getting your foot in the door, understanding yeah. kind of the inner workings of how a PBM works, how a health plan works. You get that foundation and that gives you the opportunity to kind of continue to kind of grow and climb up that ladder, if you will. Yep. So let, let's let's talk about what happens as you climb that ladder. So you're you're a perfect example of that, right? You um you entered it you know, right out of pharmacy school, you had this clinical pharmacist job where you were doing a lot of clinical clinical programs. And now you've, you've got a, a fancier title. You've got more responsibilities. You've got a bigger role. Like what, what, does, that, what does that look like now as a pharmacist? Is you, you worked your butt off to get this PharmD. Yeah, I mean- well, I, What are you using your PharmD for right now? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, I like to think I do use it every single day. Um, there are certain days certainly where it probably plays a little bit lower of a priority. Um, but I do, you know, I do think that it's, it, I would be probably a good case study, right. Of getting your foot in the door and being able to kind of understand the inner work and kind of be able to move up here. And when I first started, like I said, really kind of focused on the actual clinical intervention piece. So having these, you know, conversations and dialogue with patients about their medications, getting comfortable, um, and familiar with how to have these types of discussions with providers, right? Um, making sure that they understand what are these national organizations saying, whether it's, you know, the National Osteoporosis Foundation, right? What is the recommendations for patients as far as getting screened, you know, every, every two years? Or um, if they have osteoporosis, make sure that they're on bisphosphonates. And if they get a fracture, make sure that they get their scans within six months of having that fracture. Um, some providers don't know some of that guidance. So how can you deliver it in a way to get their buy-in, right? You don't want to force it down their throat. That, that may not necessarily be palatable to them. So it's, it takes a certain way to phrase things for them to kind of accept it. After kind of navigating that aspect of, of the job, I got a lot more interested in, well, why am I calling this patient? Why am I calling this doctor about this patient? So I got really kind of in the weeds about the data behind the measures, right? So what are, what are the technical specifications from CMS say about this particular STAR measure? Why am I, you know, trying to identify this particular member? Really start unpacking that, right? So, okay, what, what do the specifications say as far as 
identifying certain drugs and, you know, what is continuous enrollment? What, what does that mean? Um, identifying certain uh, clinical exclusions. So if you're talking about a diabetic patient and, you know, they have liver disease, well, maybe a statin's not a proper recommendation for them. So all of that was really interesting to me. So I really started to kind of uh, try to get a better understanding of um, how can we maybe maybe rework some of these kind of theories and specifications to improve our outreach strategy, right? If I see a provider out there who has one patient, but I also can identify a provider who maybe sees 20 patients that are similar, wow, I should reach out to that provider and maybe have a more broader impact, right? I, I can potentially impact 20 members instead of just one. So uh, the way I always looked at it was my, my role was moving from being a little bit less targeted, hey, I'm impacting one member at a time, to being more population management, right? Hey, I'm actually able to work with our, our clinicians, our boots on the ground to be able to actually impact masses of people at a time versus kind of one onesie twosies. And that's where I kind of really saw my role flourish and where um, we were really able to kind of convert from a, okay, hey, how can we kind of continue to work along this path? How can we scale? Right. Okay. Hey, now we really need to kind of take this to the next level instead of really kind of building this program out for maybe one client. Okay. How can we build this program out for 10 clients, 20 clients, et cetera? Um, that's really how the kind of position evolved over time. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool way of not just describing your position, but almost describing managed care in general, right? This is, it's not about touching one person at a time or taking care of one person at a time. There's, there's plenty of pharmacists, physicians, nurses, PAs that are concerned about that one at a time sort of, sort of approach. I think you've identified a, another perfect case study here of the importance of, of managed care and having folks like you um, looking at that data and trying to decide, hey, we, we need to figure out a way to fix this group and not just one, but how do we how do we have outreach? How do we inflict change management upon this specific population? Um, I, that's that. I mean, that really sums up de the definition of managed care, you know, in a, in a nutshell, really well. And, and I think one of the best parts of you know about being in this role is working with all the various health plans that, that we contract with. Yeah. And one thing that one of our bosses said that really always resonated with me, and believe me, do I see it on a day-to-day -day basis, is if you've seen one health plan, you've only seen one health plan. And, and what, it, what it really means is every health plan is different, you know, from, from head, to, head to toe, where they might have different formulary designs, they have different benefit packages, they have different deductibles, different copay structures, different demographics. Um, different lines of business that they offer. So, you know, there's no one intervention fits all. There's no one shoe fits all. You really have to tailor your intervention and your strategy to that particular client, to that particular contract, to that particular line of business to make sure that you're being as effective as possible. Yeah, no, that, that, that resonates. I noticed, uh, you know, when, when we deal with on our, on our Medicare team, the various clients, the various demographics, We've noticed that there's just some areas in the country that are healthier. They play the game better. They're just more adherent to their medication. And you know, maybe that's a social determinant of health factor. Maybe there's a socioeconomic factor. Maybe it's a combination of a lot of different things, right? 
Um, but we, we notice those same things. And so when we talk about population-based healthcare, it's not the entire population. It's like these micro-populations and, and moving subpopulations of the larger group, um, hopefully impacting them in a positive way and, and moving them to a healthier, healthier state. Or if nothing else, just educating them on why it's so important to do X, right? Why it's so important about their adherence or whatever, whatever it is that, that, that it might be. So, yeah. And you, and you certainly said a, a industry buzzword there, right? Social determinants of health. Right, you know, yeah. that's, that's certainly kind of taken on a role of its own where, you know, in the past, a lot of our messaging was really kind of lasered in on that clinical aspect of it, right? From, from a pharmacist, medication experts, hey, are you taking this medication? Oh, great. Or, hey, have you considered this alternate medication? Our, our message is really kind of evolving from that to also kind of trying to understand, well, what's behind that member maybe not taking that medication? Mm -hmm. Can they afford it? Are they potentially concerned with other aspects of their life? Are they going to be able to afford food that month? Can they afford housing? Do they have access problems getting to the pharmacy or even to their provider to get refills? Those are a lot of where our discussions are kind of headed now uh, when we're having these conversations with patients. They're really moving from not just solely clinical, but more to this kind of element of social aspects that may be impacting, you know, more so why they can't take their medication or why they're not taking it necessarily as prescribed by their doctor. I, I, I agree. And, and, and an observation that I've made, I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but it seems like pharmacy is positioning ourselves in a very unique way to lead the social determinants of health conversation. I feel like a lot of the, the pharmacy groups, whether it's the AMCPs, the PQAs of the world, these, these groups seem to be taking this challenge that the healthcare industry has given to address social determinants of health and seems to be the ones that, that are almost taking, taking lead in this. So this, this, this might be a little bit of a segue in, into the next section, but how, I guess, how do you see pharmacists really driving this social determinants of health? Is there a role for us? And, and do you think we'll, be, we'll continue to be looked at in the industry as sort of the folks who probably should be driving some of the social determinant of health changes that have to happen? I sure hope so. Um, you know, I think when you, when you consider a pharmacist, right, not, not only are we one of the most trusted professionals out there, but we're also, as far as healthcare is concerned, one of the most accessible professionals out there. You think about how many, um, you know, chain pharmacies are, are just up and down your, your, you know, your street, you know, your main street. There, there's probably, you can count more than, um, you know, more than a handful here. So just simply having them at that kind of entry point, right? It, who, who better positioned to be able to start having that conversation, um, to start the dialogue? Now, as far as actually how is it going to drive intervention and drive change, that's a loaded question. And I, I, you know, I think that's to be determined, but I at least think that pharmacists are very well positioned to at least start the conversation. Um, to be able to help patients identify that, you know, okay, well, hey, is is it you're not taking your medication because of of this? Could it be something else? And that can kind of hopefully snowball 
and, and lead them to at least help them access other resources, you know, whether it's the local food bank, whether it's getting them in touch with, you know, case management services from their health plan. I think there's certainly an opportunity for pharmacists to kind of grab the bull by the horns and at least help guide that discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think this this is actually leading me into, into the next question. Um, which, which is ha really how how do you how do you see the the future of pharmacy? Not just necessarily managed care pharmacy, your job, my job, um, but but pharmacy as a profession. Where are we headed? You know, I I hope we just continue to get more involved. You know, really, really along every kind of step of the patient's journey through the healthcare system. You know, I know there's a lot of legislation out there about getting pharmacists more prescriptive power, if you will, right? Be allowing them to, you know, offer birth control, um, you know, at the point of sale at, at the pharmacy, right? Why does a, you know, a, a, a young lady have to go to a provider? Maybe there's an access issue where she, where she can't, yeah. um, but there's two pharmacies that are within five minutes walking. You know, that's a lot easier for them to, to go to. Um, you know, I think that pharmacists are certainly starting to get more incorporated into the healthcare system and collaborative practices where, you know, when you go to your P annual PCP appointment, you're not just seeing a provider anymore. A lot of these offices now have a pharmacist on staff where, you know, again, if you have a question about your medications or how it's going to interact, who better to answer that? Then a pharmacist, not that the doctors won't know, um, but a pharmacist is certainly better positioned to answer it appropriately, help offer the doctor more guidance along, hey, you know, I have this patient, their A1C is still elevated, I got them on X, Y, or Z. A pharmacist really might help, might be able to help kind of uh, guide, well, what's the next best recommendation there? So, you know, I, I really hope pharmacists kind of continue to be inserted into these other aspects of care. And, you know, I think another area really is pain management. You know, I know where we've been in the midst of a opioid uh, epidemic here, and there's just simply not enough patients getting the treatment that they need. And I think it's honestly because access, you know, there's not enough patients who are being seen, being identified, or getting the therapy that they need. So if we can get in, uh, get pharmacists inserted into those kind of areas, I think the sky's the limit. I agree. I think that's that's really cool, and I do see a lot of our industry pushing for those for those type of, I guess, non-traditional clinical type of roles. Why are why are we stuck behind a counter, or why are we still you know in in quote the dungeon in a hospital? with all of that expertise in our heads and training that we've had and the degrees that we have. And quite honestly, there's a lot of extroverted pharmacists that would love to just talk to patients, talk to physicians about, about drug therapy. Um, I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity, not just for pharmacy, but for, for the health system in, in general. So great, great call out. I love that. Um, okay, so so really, sort of the final final question I have for you today is is <clears throat> there's there's some folks on here that aren't pharmacists. They don't really truly know outside of outside of you know what what they know about pharmacists, which might be that traditional hospital or community pharmacist role. Uh, what what's one thing you'd love the public to know about pharmacy or about pharmacists? 
Well, <clears throat> you know, speaking, I'll certainly speak for myself and a lot, a lot of my colleagues. I think, you know, when you, when you think of a pharmacist, a lot of people probably think, hey, they're, they're type A, you know, that's a certain, certain kind of characteristic that pharmacists tend to employ. But I think when you consider why a lot of us got into this industry and into this profession, it's because we're very empathetic, right? We want to help people. Um, we want to answer questions that you have. So if you see a pharmacist behind the counter who looks really busy and, and maybe irritated, don't hesitate to ask them a question that, that you may have. If you see a pharmacist kind of walking down the aisle, if you have a question, again, just don't hesitate. I, I certainly always love um, when I was asked questions about their medications, even if I was busy, even if I had a phone call, you know, another phone <laughs> ringing off the hook and, and three yeah. people at the drive-thru, I would always take a minute to, to answer some, someone's question out in the aisle. Um, and I think I can speak for a lot of pharmacists that they would agree with that. Yeah, you know, it, it breaks up, maybe going back to that ADHD, professional ADHD, there, there are a lot of very scripted actions that a, that a pharmacist has to do because we are type A, right? There, 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 there's that, that generalization that's it's very in, in a box. We, we have our functions that we have to do. But boy, breaking up that monotony and having somebody come up and have a, a genuine conversation with you and, and have a concern that you have the power to like <clears throat> help them feel better about, educate a patient. That makes your entire day sometimes. And just knowing that you made a difference in somebody else's life, that's exactly why I think all, a lot of us went to pharmacy school. So I, I, I agree, going up and, and I guess, quote, bugging the pharmacist <laughs> is not really bugging the pharmacist. You're, you're, you're actually helping out their mental psyche, like getting them away from, from, the, from the A A to Z sort of stuff. Um, that I, Absolutely. I that is, is that was always the most rewarding aspect of the job, mm -hmm. being able to, to actually help an individual. You know, e even in our jobs in managed care, you get a patient on the phone, they're, they're having trouble with a prior authorization. You help oh, yeah. guide them through the process, get that medication covered. Boy, does that feel good. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just getting them the access to what, what they need, making them feel better, makes us, makes us feel a lot better. Well, Mark, thank you for joining me today and, and on our second episode of our October Pharmacist Month's Pharmacy Friends podcast. Uh, I sincerely appreciate you taking out the time and, and uh, sharing some of your background and some of your thoughts thoughts about pharmacy. Um, Pleasure, pharmacy friends. For the next podcast, uh, we'll be we'll be recording that shortly and posting that within the next couple of weeks. We'll be having a third edition. Um, I hope that you look for that copy. Uh, I appreciate the time that you are spending and listening to our podcast, and I hope that that you learned something like I did today with that. Thanks again, Mark. And I'll talk to you, I'm sure, on several other calls. Looking forward to it. That's right. Thanks, buddy. See you soon. Take care. A huge thank you to John for hosting and Mark for sharing his journey. I know in this field, you typically hear a lot about the importance of a residency program. And while of course that is true, I loved hearing Mark's insights on how he took his degree and forged a career path in a non-traditional way, which as you know, that's what we're all about. Always remember to thank your pharmacist and thank you for joining us today. Let's be friends. Rate this podcast five stars and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
We'll talk soon.